So hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest, we've got, I'm not going to say, we fire have, extinguisher, like ex- Extinction Rebellion. Extinction Rebellion. Uh, last week, I was saying to Matt, I was like, I think I must have said that about four times before I was like, Paul, it's no Extinguish Rebellion, it's Extinction Rebellion. Like, okay, I, yet again, my English fails me, as it does. <laughs> It's kind of much daily. Anyway. Um, I didn't catch your last name, Matt. Sorry. Uh, it's Matt Noble. Matt Noble. So, welcome to Rebel City, mate. Thanks for having do me you, on. Do you want to just tell the people, just being I mean, obviously your name's Matt Noble, but just a wee bit about yourself? Uh, so, I'm a computer programmer. Um, I got involved with Extinction Rebellion last year. Um, the last few years, um, like probably like many people, I'd seen all the articles yeah. popping up on social media about the latest climate science and mm-hmm. how bad it's getting and it's like, fuck, this is serious. This, you know, this is an actual existential yep. threat to our civilization. And you read that and you think, oh, this is terrible. I need to do something. And you're like, what the fuck can I do? Like, yeah. you know, I already cycle to work. You know, mm-hmm. what, 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 <clears throat> like, <clears throat> there's, there's a sort of limit on what any one individual can do and, and it's just so um, disempowering to feel like there's this mm-hmm. horrible, horrible threat hanging over yep. and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and and so you, you just feel that sort of anxiety about it that that there's nothing you can do. And then yeah. last year, around about the start of the year, I saw popped up in my Facebook feed this post from Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, I had no idea who she was, but someone yeah. had shared this really long post from her, basically responding to a lot of criticism she'd had and sort mm-hmm. of telling the story of how her protest had started. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, this is a really inspiring thing like one person started this protest and it spread yeah mm-hmm. and then like a week later uh i see an event on facebook for uh school climate strikes in george yep. square and i'm like shit this is happening in glasgow that's brilliant so Aye. the algorithm actually uh, worked <laughs> <laughs> so i managed to convince a couple of my colleagues to come along to george square on our lunch break and just you know just sort of take it in and i was like wow this is brilliant this is inspiring i think that was quite cool that you know that the young people all across the world kind of made the point quite eloquently that, you know, what's left of the world is theirs. And, like, although they might not be, you know, enfranchised enough to vote, um, you know, that they weren't going to just sit about and let governments, you know, ruin their futures, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was quite poignant to see it coming for kids for a change. Aye. Um, so, yeah, it was so inspiring. And I then noticed that these Facebook events telling you about, oh, the climate strike and George Square come along. Mm-hmm. The host of these events was a group called Extinction Rebellion. I hadn't heard of them either. Yeah. But I was like, oh, that's quite interesting, and followed the page, and then saw they were putting up like weekly public meetings, and I was like, I'll try and get along to one of those meetings. Mm. And then before <clears throat> before you know it, I'm involved and in going along and helping them plan actions and helping helping run the social media. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where you started. Yeah, where I started. Mm-hmm. Cool. And again, so for anybody, I mean, obviously, you know, it's pretty obvious that there's a, a climate element to what he's doing. Like, what is the, the sort of core message that Extinction Rebellion's got for anybody who's been living in a cave for like the last 18 months or so? So the core message is that climate change is real. It's happening. It's really fucking bad. Um, it's not just something that is going to happen in the future. It's something that's already happening. Yep. And the narrative that we're getting from our governments from our media institutions is not telling the full story it's not they're they are downplaying how mm-hmm. serious it is mm-hmm. yeah i mean the schools are scientific thought that say you know the point of no return is in the next 10 to 15 years 
Um, I think those are, I don't know if those are conservative estimates or whether they're accurate or whatever, but I've definitely seen the, you know, the sort of 10 to 15, I think it was 12 year mark was mentioned quite a few times in recent years. And if that's not a pressing issue, then I don't really know what is. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, all being well, even where, you know, Glasgow's mortality rates. <laughs> that's still technically likely to be in my lifetime, you know what I mean? What, what would any government like have to gain out of no telling us the truth about it? Because if it's something that's so pressing, which it is, you know what I mean? Like I'm 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 no a, a climate denier and I don't no. think it matters in any way. Like I, I believe the science. Um why would they why do they no tell us? I think it's one of these cases where the problem is so big that they genuinely don't know how to face up to it. Yeah. Mm. And so the easier thing is to stick your head in the sand. Mm. Um, The the thing that really jolted a lot of people into action was the the IPCC report in 2018, which basically said, as you were saying, Mm -hmm. we've got until 2030 to cut our emissions in half. Now, if you look at a graph of global carbon emissions... Yep. You might imagine from the last 10, 20 years with a lot of talk about recycling, a lot of talk about carbon footprint, that that graph has started to go down. Yeah. But it's not. That graph is still increasing exponentially mm-hmm. year I think on this year. something I've seen on your website and the build-up to this was that like it's ridiculous to expect emissions to dip when the economy is entirely based on the increased production yeah. model. You know what I mean? Like, so so the, the two can go hand in hand. So that graph uh, shows the line of best fit, which is actually really close to the actual data. Uh, the line of best fit is exponential increase of 1.65% per mm-hmm. annum, which is pretty close to what you're looking at for, for economic growth. Yeah. So I think it would be quite hard not to conclude that there's a direct correlation between economic growth and carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So another reason why why it's very difficult for politicians and governments to actually really face up, up to the problem is that they are so wedded to this idea of economic growth. It's yeah. how they are measured. Yep. Uh-huh. They, they haven't yet found out a way to mm-hmm. sell themselves as a government you should vote for without saying, we're going to grow the economy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There must be some kind of, I mean, we've had... It feels like we've, we've been having sort of perpetual boom and bust since... Right, since when the economy began. Yeah, but the, the idea that we can keep growing economically and when we've sort of like topped out, like, I mean, how many devices can we have? How many How many laptops? How many mobile phones? Like, there's, there's an estimated like 10 billion pound worth of tech in people's cupboards. So how can we continue <laughs> to expect to grow and grow and grow? This is part of like even just wider politics, not just about like climate, that... They, they, they constantly talk about and they're expecting economic just constant growth mm. there needs to be a point where we stop growing do you know what I mean where we actually take a look at like what are we doing like why why do we need it why do we need the market to yeah. keep growing other than just to keep putting money in pockets do you know what I mean yeah. mm-hmm. I mean that's exactly it and that's you know your mobile phone probably breaks about once a year and you have to buy a new one yeah mm-hmm. even if it doesn't break or oh, the new one's bigger and better and more efficient mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like i mean your mobile phone 10 years ago was powerful enough but because of something called moore's law computers get twice as powerful every two years yeah, yeah. so it's now 30 times as powerful <coughs> as it was 10 years ago i'm saying yes, 10 I'm years ago it was good enough that, <laughs> 10 years ago it was good enough why does Aye. it need to be so much more powerful today mm. um other than they, they just want to sell you something else which is and that's exactly that yeah mm-hmm. so i mean I mean, that sort of answers this question, but why does it seem to be... what? Well, 
this seems to have polarised like everything into left and right, where it seems that the left are offer sort of like the Green New Deal and, and their, their climate sort of, they're ready to go, they're ready for action, whereas the right is just sort of like trying to basically downplay, I mean, there's a whole mass of like climate denial happening where oh, the sort of top scientists are telling you one thing but and your politicians are clearly to be more... The Oval Office doesn't believe in it, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I think it's because it's snowing outside his window that that's the same thing as global warming being a myth and you're like, can somebody sit this guy down and have the conversation you have with a five-year-old that explains the difference between environment and weather. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, I I found it quite interesting as well when we talk about denial. And there was the the recent example. I don't know if you've seen it about the the, the lassie who's running for the leadership of the the Scottish Tories, and she was talking about secret reports about eco-friendly cows and how climate change was. And you were just like a secret report about like eco-friendly cows in Scotland was. You know, even for climate change denial, a wee bit out there, and, and obviously, like in the last week or so. So, I it's like it's still there. It's not something that we've got over. We've no managed to get the message across that you know this emergency. And ideally, you know, we we do need like, in essence, like a green industrial revolution. You know what I mean? Like we need to rekey everything we do away from the fossil fuels mm-hmm. and towards a more sort of green and sort of viable economy. And like that in itself, the, think about the amount of jobs, the amount of skills that that creates, like I think the incentive's there to do it, but I just don't get why there's no political will behind it because I don't know if we're just like place keeping now until the people who own, you know, fossil fuels are ready to diversify and have like a green market or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, I think one of the things we need to understand is the power that we're up against. Yeah. Um, so Exxon... Uh, commissioned a, a report in 1977 where some very, very uh, smart scientists clearly uh, predicted that by this point in time we would be at 415 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere <coughs> and we would be about one, uh, one degree Celsius warmer and that's exactly where we are okay. 40 years later. Right. Like they predicted pretty much exactly the point we would be at. Right. Um, now a lot of Environmental organisations maybe didn't realise we would be in quite such a, a bad state at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Now, at the point where they figured that out, they could have chosen to say, we need to get out of fossil fuels, this is really bad. Mm-hmm. But instead, they decided, well, we need to protect our profits, we need to invest in lobbying, we need to invest in uh, propaganda efforts to yep. muddy the waters, to, to promote this sort of denial narrative. Mm-hmm. And so they've known for a long time that we would at some point in time get to this moment where people, where you can no longer deny the science of it. Yep. Presumably they've prepared for this moment as well. They've prepared yeah. for their new message. Now that everyone accepts climate change is real and they're causing it, mm-hmm. they've now got a new message that, oh, we're going to be sustainable. We're going to have zero emissions in our operations. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't matter if you've got zero emissions in your operations because your operation is to produce and sell fossil fuels that someone else is going to burn. Yeah. <laughs> so what does it matter? Do you know what? I've actually never thought about that before, that <laughs> no. a zero emissions I So what did Exxon do with that, um, that report back in the 70s? Was it, is this one of the ones where they've just kept it to themselves? They just kept it to themselves. Yeah, didn't yeah. share it with yeah, anybody. Same kind of chat as the tobacco industry like 10 years before. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? like they knew it was coming and they just did exactly the same stuff with lobbyists and threw money at the problem and hoped for the best. You know yeah, what I mean? absolutely. Like, what, what do you think of the, I mean, you, like you're saying, you're, you're you're up against big money, big industry, big government. I mean, this is all like 
and, and it's so deeply entrenched now. Like everything when it comes to like the media and the government, and then like you say, the oil and gas and the, the alcohol and tobacco industries and stuff. So just basically a big massive sort of bunch of mates that are just. Aye helping each other out and giving each other like a leg up ah. so what do you think are the chances that they can actually like break that lobby and break that sort of message or do you think it's already happening because i, I mean a part of the the what i love about uh the, the the girl greta is that she's literally got every middle-aged guy and up like fucking wetting themselves to like <clears throat> jump on and just slag her and just Aye. Denounce yeah. her to be yeah. whether it be her autism, whether it be or oh, this is her parents and she's oh, look at look at her parents they they were like this and they're and just very much her a lot of shoot the messenger going on. There's yeah. no very many people trying to like legitimately like debunk anything that she says. It's all about personal attacks on mm-hmm. her. Which do is, you think that that's a sign that the tide is turning? That, that yeah. there's more people getting engaged in the, climate change. There definitely is, but it's still not easy to to win that fight because. Mm-hmm. There's so many people engaged, but we don't have the power. Mm-hmm. We still so, don't have the billions of dollars. That's that- it. Yeah, but that was what I was going to say earlier on when I was talking about the left and the right was that would you would you have rather that it was a bipartisan sort of subject rather than it being something else that falls into a I, I support Brexit, I, therefore I need to be a climate denier because this is like identity politics is mm. almost like ruining every argument and yeah. every nuance that we can have in society where it just falls down this line of would they I believe or would they mass side want me? Would they mass I would you have rather that it didn't go like that? But then should be. I mean the survival of oils and our planet should not be like a party political issue. I don't think personally. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? like, survival was for everybody and like it's an absolute no-brainer, you know what I mean? Like for me, anyway. But again, there are literally millions out there that don't agree, you know what I mean, for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be. And that's... So we've got three key demands that we make, and our third demand is for a citizens' assembly. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason... part One of the things that's good about that demand, I can't say the reason why we came up with it, because I wasn't involved at the time, but yeah. one of the things that's really good about it is we don't have to align with any particular political ideology. Mm-hmm. We don't have to... Uh, we don't have to propose any particular solution. We can talk about potential solutions and say, if you did this, it would mm. have this much benefit. But we don't have to say, right, this is what you're going to do. Our our proposition is that the government institutes a citizens' assembly. They uh, create a, a legal commitment to abide by whatever decisions that assembly comes up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that assembly would be formed of a pseudo-random selection of people from the population, so not completely random because mm-hmm. you've got to make sure it's representative of all demographics. Mm-hmm. Then that group of ordinary people would be advised by experts. You'd have a lot of people who would come in yeah. and say, this is the situation, this is why we need to act, this is how much of an impact we need to make, and here are some options for actions that could be taken. And then the idea is that that group would then make a decision that would be representative of the population yeah. as a whole. This is a this is something that I've heard the um, elsewhere. I think that the Scottish government talk about citizens' assemblies being more widely used in, in a sort of very sort of general basis recently. I think so. Um, is this something that's alongside that idea, or is or is it just the way things seem to be moving generally? Is that you know I think you'd raise the point about you know power being. You know, try to be filtered to a more local level and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So the part of the problem we've got this this crisis where, as I say, we've got ten years to cut our emissions in half, mm-hmm. and it's hard to see how that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, as things stand, we've got 
one election in 2025 at UK level or 2024 and then another one in 2029 and then we're at 2030 where we've got to have already half the remissions. Yeah. We as the people don't have enough opportunities to have our say. Uh, at the same time, you've got politicians making a legally binding commitment to get to net zero by 2050 knowing full well that they're not going to be in office by that point in time or yeah. possibly not even alive anymore. Mm-hmm. So it really feels like our whole democratic system is not fit for purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's certainly in facing this challenge, probably in facing a lot of other challenges as mm-hmm. well. Oh yeah, I feel but, like this might be actually the 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 biggest opportunity for us to actually to look at the democratic system and why do we? I mean, you, you hear a lot of sort of complaints about like every four years. Mm. So if you get somebody in power that starts to do something good. I mean, I've got no doubt that the current Tory government or the previous two Tory governments, David Cameron's or Theresa May's, they've probably done something that's good. I've not seen much yet or I've not heard much yet, but I live in my echo chamber. So they've probably done something good. But if our government starts to have sort of like good push in the right direction for something four years later, it just stops because there's another person that gets put in. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that frustrates me is, is the, the person that gets put in isn't a fucking expert and they don't know anything about it. I mean, they're career yeah. politicians that have done a politics degree and maybe got a PhD or whatever, but they, they're, they're not getting the right people in the right positions, and that's like a, a big sort of frustration. Um, on the sort of topic of government, like, what do you think, what do you expect to the Scottish government? So what are the expectations for the organisation on our government? Because we get a lot of sort of spotlight that gets shone on the Scottish yeah. government as we talk about independence and mm-hmm. we, um, we've got very vocal politicians and yeah. MSPs. So what's the expectation? So we're making three demands and it's the same three demands that we're making of the, or more or less the same three demands that we're making of the UK government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are asking for the government to tell the truth, to declare a climate emergency and tell the truth about yeah. the scale of that emergency. Uh, now, they've declared a climate emergency, but they've kind of stopped at that point yeah. in time and not then gone out. And what we're looking for them to do is to work with the media and actually say what that means mm-hmm. and really make sure people understand this is serious, This is the, the solutions that are required need to be big. Um, our second demand is for them to make a legally binding commitment to get to net zero carbon emissions by 2025. Um, our third demand is, as I say, the, for them to institute a citizens' assembly. <clears throat> now, on the Scottish government, obviously, we're not independent. The, there are certain things the Scottish government doesn't have power over. Yeah. Uh, for example, the Scottish government doesn't have power over the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. Uh, so there might be certain limits on what they can achieve, of but course. they do have power over transport, yep. which is a huge, huge part of the carbon footprint and something which it's one area where we can create a much better quality of life for people, yeah. certainly in cities, while massively reducing the carbon footprint. Definitely. Um, when I was coming over here, uh, I used to live in this part of town, I don't anymore, but I was just shocked at how much gridlock there was uh, in the roads. Um, Crazy. And you think about how much time people are wasting sitting in their, their own metal bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not contributing to people's quality of life it is contributing to to carbon emissions absolutely so what's the solution well there's options including you can redesign how people live like have more of your local services more of your jobs closer to where you live Mm -hmm. it's probably more of a longer term thing you can 
uh, provide the infrastructure for people to walk and cycle more easily, more comfortably. Yeah. You can provide better public transport, which is a huge thing. In Glasgow, mm-hmm. our public transport is yeah. pretty I think, poor. I think the strides on like two, yeah. I'd say the city council's made strides recently on two of those three. I think the the city living is even in the last couple of days has been they were saying they're trying to increase the population of the city centre by double up to like forty odd thousand. Um, and I think when we spoke to David. Um, and you know the city council, the city chambers. And um, he was saying that you know obviously the, the pedestrianisation of the city centre was something that was happening sort of at a pace as well. But mm-hmm. again, the transport system is something that is in desperate need of looking at. I mean, you know, electric is that is that the way forward for a public fleet? Oh, for, See, a, for a public, yeah. For electric cars are often put forward as a solution, and what what people need to appreciate is that. Every electric car that you make, it's got a big, massive battery in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The materials for that battery are coming from some horrible, horrible mine somewhere in the global south, yeah. Yeah. where the the human rights abuses are horrific. The environmental consequences mm-hmm. of that mining is horrific. Yeah, and we simply can't we we can't just say, oh, we're going to reduce our emissions by doing all this damage mm-hmm. in this other part of the world. Absolutely. Um, it's almost like tricking us. Cars are a bit of a vanity yeah. thing, isn't it? It's, it? you know it's I mean? like yeah. tricking the, the population of the West into thinking that we're doing the right thing and making ethical choices yeah. by buying a, an electric car or buying a hybrid car when the actual... The reality, the, the reality of the situation is, is that people and the planet are suffering to supply you with that new car. So you see things like in Edinburgh, and obviously the, the, the tram system has been massively controversial, for various other reasons. I don't know if environment is one of them or no. Um, but again, you know, you've got Manchester as well, make use of trams. And is this maybe part of where the answer is in terms of like electric public transport? You know what I mean? Like because I know that charging and all these types of things are taking like leaps and bounds. And again, like that exponential growth on, you know, computer technology, you've got to imagine that things like electronic cars, uh, electronic sort of public transport and the charging and infrastructure is also on a sort of similar gradient. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, it's definitely like <clears throat> electric public transport is a is a big part of the solution. And also talking about technology, um, you look at things like Uber. You've got technology being applied to provide people with private transport. Mm-hmm. You <clears throat> don't have technology being applied to anything like the same level to provide public services to yeah. provide public transport. Um, you don't have. Um, for for instance, something that really really annoys me every winter, people will post up on social media these screenshots from this app that tells you where all the gritters are because they've got all the, the amusing names like you've got Gritter Thunberg now, yeah. uh, Andy Flurry, and all this. Oh, it's <laughs> very funny. But that is an app. Someone has developed that app as a public service to car users for the two or three days a year when they need to know whether the road's been gritted or not. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same technology that could tell you where your bus is. Aye, but yeah. that's not provided as a service. Or even, you know, crunch the numbers on, you know, of the bus routes, the most efficient way through, traffic, etc., and yeah. so on and so forth. Like, you, you use you the data involving yeah. city planning, essentially. Use the data that you get every time someone comes on a bus. If you've got a smart card system so that people tap on and tap off, mm-hmm. then you get that full data of, of exactly what journeys are being taken and you can you can start to improve the quality of your, your uh, public transport. You mm-hmm. definitely get behind some of that. Like, technology does seem to be something that... Um, you know, we should be able to rely on. I know it's one of the bigger industries that are booming. I mean, I know obviously when you know Trump came in in America, he tried to you know go down the road of coal and gas, but I think that we're going to find governments less and less and 
involved in that and hopefully more in this sort of green technology because it's not just about the car, it's about the way we're no using algorithms and the data that we generate to see what corners we can cut and how we can get there quicker, you know what I mean? But I think, can I harken back to one of the other points earlier, like, that's all great and it'll be stuff that will be great to make cases we do in the line, but like, um, <clears throat> like, no, fuck it, that's a wagon. Sorry. Lost the point. I I was there for a second, gone again. Sorry. Is, is there any governments every week? <laughs> is there any governments Honestly. on the planet that you feel are like a best practice on how they are implementing their climate, or is there any government out there that's actually got a decent climate crisis happening? Or not, are they all in the same? Are they all in the same? Not, not answer to the climate crisis. You mean? Well, you were asking for one to be declared and for it to be ah, taken yeah. seriously and for them to inform their people of the right. actual severity. Is there anybody out there that's actually doing that? Not that I'm aware of. Um, the, it's kind of sad, really. One, isn't one it? of the things that really frustrates us uh, in Extinction Rebellion Scotland is the Scottish government love to present themselves as climate leaders, mm. and we're like, well, actually, you're not doing anywhere near enough. But you keep, yeah. you know, it's greenwashing. They call themselves climate leaders. But the reality is, they probably are <laughs> among the <laughs> leaders. Yeah. Like that, you know, they might be the best of a bad bunch. Um, I, I did see recently, apparently, the the country that with the most sustainable economy uh, is actually Cuba. It's not okay. a surprise to yeah. me that though, because that's like yeah, they'll, they'll get what hundred percent literacy and like yeah. loads of different free education, free healthcare, all the stuff that we're yeah. trying to fight for. And so then that doesn't surprise me. You, really. you take a country and you completely cut themselves off from America and consumerism mm -hmm. and guess what? They're much more sustainable as a result. <laughs> mm. The one and only place in the world that communism ever worked. Well, that I mean, is that really like... It's not to say that they worked as a no, society, but they're, yeah, well, true, they're more sustainable. No, they're definitely definitely highlights. Is that really like the crux of the issue? Is this, um, and I hate to, to say this because it, it is really sort of like, it's a bit of a dog whistle, but is this capitalism's fault? Like, is, is this the type of thing that if we stop consuming, cut ourselves off for consumerism, maybe start to do things locally better, like more efficient, is that the type of thing that we need to be doing? Or is even that sort of too little? We definitely need to change the system. This is what we are calling for, that the whole system needs to change. One mm -hmm. of our uh, 10 principles and values uh, is that we openly challenge ourselves and the toxic system. Um, now, that's not to say that we are explicitly anti-capitalist, mm -hmm. but we're certainly challenging it. We certainly yeah. are questioning sort of current it. Like One of the things that I've been thinking about the last few days is... Uh, is that our whole uh, economy, like our whole underlying philosophy in organising how we work for the last 200 years has been to make everything more efficient in terms of human time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we try to make everything, like if you're, if you're on a factory and you want to make the most possible amount of profit and your workers are making widgets, you want them to make as many widgets as possible yeah. in an hour because you're paying them for an hour's work. Yeah. Now, we've spent 200 years trying to do everything in order to reduce the amount of our time that it takes to do things. And all of us in this modern world feel like we've got no time. Mm. How does that work? Aye. Um, and and what, what, I don't know if I'm speaking for Extinction Rebellion as a whole here, but what I, and what certainly a lot of people uh, think that we should be trying to do is our underlying philosophy shouldn't be minimising the amount of human time that something takes. It should be about maximising the resilience of our economy. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, if I was to 
have a back garden and I was to grow food in my back garden, it would take me a lot longer to grow a carrot than the amount of time it would take for an industrial farm to grow a carrot that I can buy in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if I'm growing it in my back garden, I'm more resilient. Mm-hmm. I'm not dependent on, on that demand yeah. or supply. I Absolutely. I think we're starting to see <coughs> some of this happen in this. I mean, I work in a corporate environment. We were talking off mic about the companies that we work for, but we won't mention. But the three years work in a corporate environment, um, well, not so much. Would you say that you work in a kind of course? But anyway, um, I'm starting to hear sort of good noise about um, wellness and well-being. Um, and it's basically been because they've finally cottoned on to the fact that people people being unwell, I think something crazy like 60% of sickness calls and time that, that is wasted, money that is wasted, is because of either pressure to do with the job or just general well-being. Like, and so they're starting to shift because it's it's affecting the sort of top line. Mm. So then now they're starting so to... the next place they're going to find their efficiencies is by managing people's wellness better than they did yes. before. And it's it's getting done probably in, in like a, a, a variety, a sort of good, bad, and absolutely fucking terrible. I've got absolutely no doubt about it. You've got the but same way. When it starts to... Yeah, that's it. When it starts to hit the top line corporations or the corporate world start to take notice so do you think it needs to get to that point but because selling oil is always going to make them money especially like we're going to before we come on we're going to talk about like the subsidies and i mean that's that's a racket to me yeah. that is just like that's a we're got, paying you to poison us exactly but then paying you for it absolutely <laughs> you know I mean? are we going to need to is it going to need to get to the extent where they start to lose money for them to actually make these changes that need to get done. And do you think that that's going to happen in time for 2030? Because, I mean, we're currently at 2020. It's like 10 years, 2010 to 2020 has been for me like fucking that. And nothing much has really changed in that yeah, time. No. So I don't see this big, massive change happening. But yeah, so that I... The, I think it's something that scares people. I think one of the things you must come up against, Mason, as you say, in terms of your principles, like challenge yourselves... Like, that's going to be something that's hard for a lot of people to do mm-hmm, on this yeah. because the action that's required to make the difference that we're talking about here is drastic. Yeah. Like, people need to change the way they live their lives in, in, in the modern world. And, like, businesses as well, like, you talk about that, you know, uh, impact, you know, financially on the bottom line. The top. Like, I think we need to look at, you know, as you were talking about half mic beforehand, the food industry, when you look at the clothing industry, I was watching the hang the other week get about fast fashion. Fast fashion, I And like the, the new hot the, the, the resources that they bum through in knock up four pound t shirts for Topshop is fucking ridiculous. And you're like, do we, do we need that? Could our economy, could our you know, psyche be more robust to go, well, no, no, fuck that. I don't actually need tat for pre mark this week. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But these are big ones. But again, there's another level again above that, as you say, fossil fuels, governmental, like. And industri- there's a lot of industrial countries still out there. Like, I wonder sometimes if, like, me, as I was saying before, like, boiling half a kettle or switching a light off when I'm not in a room is really the answer when so much of this industrial scale stuff is happening. Like, do we have means or any way to, like, regulate or interrupt it? Well, one thing that the big companies that pollute um, have been really successful at, uh, so there's a stat that there's 100 companies that are responsible for 71% of all the carbon emissions going right back to the Industrial Revolution. Wow. Now, one of the things that they've been really successful at is making us all think it's our fault 
like making us think, yeah. oh, as you say, I boiled too much water in that kettle. I didn't turn the light off. Yeah, I forgot yeah. to bring my how plastic bag to the shop with me. I had to get how, another. How dare you use that poly um, bag? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, these things do make some difference. And mm-hmm. but if you're be, talking about uh, that's part of what twenty nine percent of all carbon emissions since yeah. the industrial revolution. I would surely the low hanging fruit is in this seventy one percent. Absolutely, yeah, and and that's that's as I say that's where they've been successful is focusing on the individual. And one of the things that's really really difficult that has has been a huge barrier to environmental groups uh, bringing people on in terms of getting people involved or just getting people to be sympathetic with them is that a lot of people when they see environmental campaigners they think we are attacking them. They think. Mm. Oh, but you know, so I, I don't eat a plant-based diet. I drive to work. You know, I flew. I, I flew to Mallorca last month. You know, I, 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 I couldn't. I couldn't join up with you guys because I would be a hypocrite. Because, mm. it, and and then it's of course you get the people who who disagree with being like you're a hypocrite because you've got a you know you've got a sandwich you just bought at a Tesco in a plastic yeah. box there. Or get a flight <clears> to New York to speak to the UN. How dare she? And you're like, come on, man. But she I, took a yacht. Uh, I, I think that that's something that really <coughs> needs to get out there is that, like, because, like you're saying, shaming people doesn't do anything yeah. for anybody. All no. it causes is division and anger. And, um, I mean, some one of the ones that jumps out to me is I was reading something all day where people were saying that you say you're a communist, but you just tweeted that for your iPhone. And you're kind of <laughs> like, right, there is a hypocrisy in there, but. At the same time, you need to engage in a modern world to get anything done. I mean, you're not going to change the way that big business or big government do things by basically living underground with no phone and like because then ultimately that's only you're just going to cut yourself off. You need to engage. I mean, I I don't like off the topic of climate change too much, but there's a fallacy in that because the the internet was uh, was a research project by the United States military in the first place. The computers were invented by you know as part of public uh, research mm-hmm. um the internet was created by public research mm-hmm. um you know companies like twitter have come in and monetized all of that exactly. yeah but the idea that you could have a phone on the internet communicating with millions of people uh that you couldn't have that without capitalism is flawed mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, but yeah, to come back to, to blaming and shaming, um, that's why that's one another of our ten principles and values is we don't blame and shame individuals because if if, if everyone <clears throat> was just to devote their energy to trying to minimise their own carbon footprint, you'd go insane. Yeah, because you cannot live in this world without doing these things. You mm-hmm. can't live in this world without a phone. You can't. Some people cannot not drive to work. Your choice is you drive to work or you don't have a job. Yeah, um, you need to feed your family. If your choice is maybe that you have to fly places as part of your job or you don't have a job. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we can talk about a plant-based diet, but there's some there's a lot of people who are not able to do that. Or simply, it costs more money. You know, the, the cheapest options are not necessarily, or very often actually, the cheapest options are the ones that are least healthy for the environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because those environmental costs are externalised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much an impact do you think the plant-based diet actually has when you get... Because this always happens, and I'm sure that it will be one side versus another, and it will be misinformation versus more inf- misinformation. But when you hear about the, the, the bean, like the soy farms use just as much, and the carbon footprint for soy farms 
just the same as what it is. I don't even know if that's true, by the way. So don't Again, no, well, that's what we're saying. We don't know. This is the misinformation. Right. Is that I well, you can you can have the plant based diet, but ultimately it's the same thing. It doesn't make any difference other than maybe the ethics of killing the animals, which mm. is another reason for you to be vegan. Uh-huh. Um, I, I've been slowly but surely. Also, vegetables don't do a lot of farting. Like, which is of like breaking with the cows into that, the cattle as the methane that, and stuff like that. Is that not actually that? like almost like a, a myth? I don't know. About the, the, so, the gas that, that cows fart because so, I, so, uh, I've been uh, pulled up in that apart, one before. Apparently they don't fart, they burp. Okay. But it's, uh, the methane comes out of them anyway. Right. Um, no, the, the, there is, the, 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 I've read some interesting things about this, about apparently cattle, if they are fed in a field with lots of diverse grasses in it, there's not anywhere near as much methane. It's when they're in a monoculture, that's when there's right. a lot more methane. Okay. But I'm not a scientist. I honestly can't answer the question yeah. about, so see, one about of the soybeans. About that, that, going back to the point earlier about like um, the waste to mm. get you to like the, the fast fashion or even the electric cars is, is that there's something, there's a crazy statistic where it's like almost five pounds of plant-based protein to produce one pound of meat protein. So okay. to feed a cow to get one pound of like meat protein that you eat, it takes five pounds of plant based protein, oh, which right, is okay. just mind blowing yeah. when you're like, what the fuck? Uh, the it's like dividing anything. it by five just to get to this thing that we're used to. Like this comes back to what you were saying is it relies on us changing the way that we live yeah. our life. You're you're used to the beef. Yeah. I get it, but. Stop fucking eating it, like yeah. please, like Jesus Christ. I think when we were talking earlier on about engagement, that's probably where I would want to go next because once we agree that there is a climate change emergency that we absolutely need to be doing something about that, you know, things are probably going to need to change pretty dramatically in a lot of cases. Like, how do we then, how, how are you then basically getting that message out there? Um, I know obviously there's quite a variety of things that you do. I've seen things for guys climbing oil rigs, which again is about that stopping them, you know, industrial production. But I've also seen like, I think I seen on Facebook, like a baby's reading group, you know, like somewhere and I've seen like yeah. knitting circles. So there's, you know, there's a pretty yeah. big variety. So there's, there's, <clears throat> I mean, essentially one of the things that, that defines Extinction Rebellion and, and sets us apart from possibly every other movement that came before us or most other movements that came before us uh, in the environmental movement is that we take direct action. We mm-hmm. we break the law in order to cause disruption. Um, we don't just do an A to B march. Now, there's, there's a theory that people pay more attention to you if you're doing that, if mm-hmm. you're actually disrupting their lives. And it can be obviously counterintuitive because you think if you're going to disrupt someone's life, they're going to turn against you. So this was a essentially an experiment there were there were some there might have been some research behind it that suggested that this would work mm-hmm. but we had to try it out and uh it did appear it does appear to be working mm-hmm. you know yeah. certainly april like we had so much success you know in the aftermath of that we got climate emergency declarations from the scottish government and the uk government yeah as i say that's only part of the, the story we want them to, to tell the full truth about mm-hmm. about what that really means we want them to go further and take action yeah but it, it does seem to have had success doing that. So that's there's that's one strand. But there's three kind of different types of events that Extinction Rebellion will, will put on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's direct action, things like that, where we're causing disruption to try and make a big scene, to try and grab people's attention. That's my personal favourite type of protest. I like yeah. it when people fuck shit up. Then the second kind of event that we'll put on is an outreach event. 
you know, where, where we're basically we're doing something, we're not disrupting anything, but we're just trying to, you know, again, draw, draw people's attention without breaking the law mm-hmm. um, and just hand out leaflets or, you know, talk to people, you know, tell them what we're about, bring them in. So as well, like the flash mobs yeah. and stuff like that Yeah, stuff in. like that, yeah. Um, and then the third type of event that we'll put on is what we call a regenerative culture. So this is another of our sort of principles and values where we say we need a, a regenerative culture, this idea that we look after ourselves, we look after each other, um, we we try and sort of build a prototype for the new kind of society we want to see. Okay. Um, and that's where things like reading events come in, mm-hmm. you know, cultural sort of um, arts type events. Yeah. Now, so essentially building a community by having community events. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Um, obviously, some some of our members are much more involved with one strand than the other, or some Aye. of them are across the So, like the guys the that board. are like, you know, taking over oil rigs are not yeah. necessarily reading bedtime stories to people. I mean, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, it was actually two women that, that climbed up the oil rig. All right, uh, Yeah. All um, <laughs> That's your privilege. That's me, uh, white privilege. Cancelled. privilege. Cancelled next week on Twitter, mate. Again. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, so, like, what? what's the current state of the education system on this? Like, what, how much do they speak about this in schools? Um, I feel that there seems to be a generational divide when it comes to this. I mean, I think that for people of um, our generation... There seems to be probably minds and match generation. There seems to be more sort of like denial, and then as you go up through the ages, it gets worse and worse and worse. But it seems to be like sort of the, the younger people, millennials, as they'll, they'll be known, but then people that are teenagers <coughs> now in sort of 2018, 2019, seem to be like the real people that are pushing this. But is there any proactive education in our school system currently around climate crisis or is it like our history where it's just washed? Here is the, 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 the water system between the sea and the clouds and all that kind of stuff you used to get in science or is there an actual like, so here is the reality of the world you live in right now. I mean, it's a long time since I was, I was at school, so honestly, no. so there's, there's no actual like research or anything getting our news getting put out there that they're changing. I'm, I'm honestly not aware of nah, what the situation nah, is in the schools. Enough. I mean, I remember when I was at school, <clears throat> something that I look back on now and, and think, yeah, that was wrong. Like, when I was at school, we were taught about renewable energy mm-hmm. and we weren't taught about the fact that the planet is warming and this might just have been my school and my science class, but we weren't taught about global warming. We were taught about the idea that there's a finite amount of oil and gas and coal mm-hmm. and <clears throat> because of that, <clears throat> sorry, we're going to need to move away from fossil fuels because they're finite. And we're going to and, run out, and if and that's where the word renewable comes from, because mm. it's not going to run out because it can be renewed. Yeah. Now, therefore, we've got this idea that renewables are always good, but one form of renewables is what they call biofuels, which is essentially burning trees. Mm. Now, mm. that's still burning carbon and putting carbon into the atmosphere. Seriously, I, and I'm, if, I'm, I'm totally oblivious to the fact. I'm, I always thought biofuels was like, you know microorganisms generating gases and stuff like that. No, like burning trees, that's that's a good rebrand. Somebody's rebranded yeah. that one well, so they have... Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so there's a company called Drax, who are... Okay. Um, who they operate a plant, I think they're in the process of building new plants, um, burning basically wood pellets. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and this is obviously branded as you know this green sustainable new initiative, but <clears throat> you're still burning carbon. Yeah. You just you just didn't wait for it to be in the ground a few million years first. Uh-huh. I think then it, <coughs> that comes the down. guy must be a genius. I'm uh, sorry, man. That's or, like, or that, how would they get away with that? I think what that comes down to is um, what is the problem. So the problem they are is we're running out of oil and coal. And we need an alternative to keep yeah the, keep the wheels turning. Whereas the actual issue is is that we need to stop burning carbon and we need to stop damaging the planet. So I mean, I think that um, like yeah, for me, if somebody was to say to me five minutes ago, biofuel, I would think that's a good thing. Like that, that's the sounds brilliant. Uh huh. That was the type of thing that we get told maybe in the nineties, like yeah. when I was at school as well, that this is the future that will be yeah. bioenergy and renewable energies. And it's weird to hear that there are renewable energies that are really bad because I, I've never heard anybody really talk about no, that. No, like, I can't see that. It's been so a bit of revelatory I suppose information I, for after me. After back of that, like, what are the ideal energies that we should be using to sort of like fuel our economy and like get keep our planet moving? Well, it does come down to renewable... Uh, sorry, see, I've just gone and said <laughs> just told you. It comes down to things like solar energy, tidal, uh, wind. Now, there's problems with uh, some of these, particularly solar, requires a lot of the rare earth metals that I was talking about earlier, with yeah. the mining and, and mm-hmm. the, the human rights abuses and the environmental damage in other parts of the world that, that, that come from that. So <clears throat> the, these are the solutions, and we do need to invest in these, and, and there's probably going to need to be some amount of batteries as well mm-hmm. involved, which, you know, again, it, it comes down to this, uh, what they call extractivism, which can be very damaging in other parts of the world. Um, so we can't just say that all we need to do is switch our energy source from being burning carbon to being wind and solar yep. wave and tidal. We also need to reduce the amount of energy that we use mm-hmm. because um, while we are sort of transitioning, while we are building all the infrastructure to, to, to get all of this <coughs> renewable electricity, yep. there's a cost with all of that. Mm-hmm. There have been successful examples, I think. Was it Portugal that went at one point for, was it a month or something like that, without you know, fossil fuels? There are countries that have made sort of strides that we can maybe look to as examples yeah. in this area. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to see like what the recommendations would be to reduce your consumption of energy rather than this... Because that's a, that's a real-world thing that I can do, but... Telling me to go and check out how I reduce my carbon footprint, I'm not really that interested in that because I, I, I don't know what it means. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I would be like, no, tell me the actual I action things that, I can, that I can do right now to like bring that down. I'm pretty sure that running a podcasting studio at your bedroom and lights <laughs> and stuff probably <laughs> isn't, isn't the best fucking thing for me to be like <laughs> reducing my consumption. Again, no, it's not coming down to, to each of us as individuals doing what we can to reduce our consumption. It's about the system changing so that people in general can live with much less consumption. Mm-hmm. If each of us was to just try and <coughs> and 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 have the, the lowest kind of carbon footprint we could have, we'd again we'd drive ourselves crazy. You know, you go to the supermarket and be like, oh, I can't buy that. It's it's come from Israel. Like that's that's too far away. There's too mm-hmm. much of a carbon footprint on that. Um, you know, and you'd you'd have to try and and only buy things which are from really close, but also you can't have anything that's meat or dairy because. Mm. Guess what? That's you know that that's got more of a carbon footprint than 
the, the vegetarian yeah, you options. Yeah, just chasing and, your tail. Yeah, you, Which you, you would spend all your energy doing that, yeah. where it might be better to spend your energy pushing for the system to change. Yeah, yeah. but she does. <coughs> I think that's the situation that we're currently finding ourselves in, and I think that a lot of people are kicking back, and I think that I can see both sides of it. I, I can see why, but I think currently we're in a situation where you've got a group of people who feel that they are doing everything they can and that everybody around about them needs to do the same. But then the opposite side of that coin is, is that you've got other people who are just so disengaged by it because it seems, 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 So, I mean, that's scary. I mean, you're, you're, I'm, I'm on board with like the climate change message completely like, and even for me, the, the type of change that's being talked about is a scary prospect. And I think there is probably part of me that can maybe understand the mentality of some of the folk who are maybe mm-hmm. deniers because it's maybe no that they don't believe it or that they don't agree that change is happening. But the, the notion of what we're talking about here is so scary to people that it, it's, you know, so big. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I personally don't know how we address that myself. Like, uh, mm-hmm. education and the truth is definitely a start, but, like, we definitely could be doing mayor in that front I think to be mm-hmm. honest with you I think that's probably like bang on where people just feel like they're it's, it, it's, it's just a fear based response like any time that I've ever spoke to somebody about sort of the climate crisis and I've got members of my family who it, they're, they're too busy dealing with their day to day life and too busy dealing with the challenges that they face and the current economics and everything else that goes with that, whether it be Scottish independence, Brexit, World War Three, what that just all sort of totally like dominates people's minds. And so when you come to them and they're a taxi driver, for instance, I remember my family's a taxi driver, and you talk about like this is what needs to happen, like a complete change of lifestyle. We need to stop driving cars, and it just scares the living fucking shit out of them. I think. I mean, one of the one of the things that makes it really hard for us is, uh, and and we are, we do have trouble kind of reaching people. Is is we are talking about things that are maybe 10, 20, 30 years down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people have got lives, people have got problems today and tomorrow and next week, mm-hmm. and and it's hard to kind of engage with something which which seems so abstract and so so far away. Um, but we do need to deal with it now, so that's one of the kind of challenges that we face. Uh, it's uh, a huge challenge yeah. that because it's, it's asking people, yeah, yeah, it's asking people to look into the future. Yeah, and be, and you you do get people where they'll just be like, I don't care, like yeah. I don't care about that. I can't do anything about it, so I'm just putting it in that bucket of I don't give mm-hmm. a shit. Yeah. And when they see the protests, or when I mean, me and Matt were talking before before you uh, turned up this afternoon about the, I found it mind blowing when the guy jumped on top of the the tube in London mm-hmm. and they pulled him down and started kicking into him. Uh, and yeah. I was like, you're the sheep, you're literally the turkeys that are voting for Christmas here. Yeah. Like, this is going to impact you just as much as it does the guy up there. And he's trying to tell you a message and your response is, I need to get to my job, get the fuck off the top of that, you're disrupting my life, get off, and in fact, I'm going to kick you in the head for trying yeah. to do that. I just found touched that on that one, There was a lot of shoot the messenger in this. Yeah, that, that was a really really tough kind of episode for Extinction Rebellion, that, that particular action and the response to it. Um, and we got a lot of criticism because it was it was the wrong target. We were disrupting people in a working class area of London trying to get to work who 
in all likelihood would be losing losing wages by not turning up and time yeah. for work. Mm-hmm. If we'd done the same thing in Canary Wharf, most of the people have got a salary, and if they turn up an hour late for work, they don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they probably do care because they think their job matters. But yeah, um, <laughs> for anybody who works at Canary Wharf, yeah. of which I've got a mate, <laughs> like yeah, your yeah. job doesn't matter, mate. Aye, Greg, what's it? Um, <laughs> oh, that we have. Yeah, yeah, okay. But uh, that's that, that's that's a good point. Like, I think that's that's. I think in my own queue, we like the blockades are like, um, you know, fuel depots and these types yeah. of things. I think the vision of the industrial complex in the background, where you guys are at front with your banners and your unity and your message, is much a much more agreeable sort of image. So, so when we were when we were formed, that we we had this thing that we call the theory of change uh, about how we were going to bring about change and how how our actions were going to make this happen. Yeah. And it was all about causing disruption in the capital city, causing disruption in London. And it's something that we're now spending a lot of time and effort looking at and mm-hmm. thinking about because it was so successful in April. We didn't really seem to get anywhere in October. It felt almost like we went backwards in terms of public sympathy in October. And when you talk about targeting industrial sites, this mm-hmm. is a new thing. We weren't doing that before. Yeah, uh, We're now... We haven't kind of formally changed our strategy yet, mm-hmm. but we're in the process of doing that. I'm actually going to a meeting after this where we're talking about XR Scotland, what is our strategy going yeah. to be. We've got some proposals we're going to discuss and uh, and kind of uh, feedback on. Um, but yeah, we, we, we do need to put some work in to think about our strategy, to think mm-hmm. about our message. We're, we're still a very, very young organisation. We're still less than a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. So... I can't believe that actually. That yeah, is- considering the uh, the actual growth and how widespread the organisation, I mean, it's it, you know became a global name overnight, yeah. and like that does put a lot of pressure on you to keep the ball moving, I yeah. suppose. Um, but it is, as you say, it's really important that as you move, you move in the right manner because yeah. it, you know we've already talked about examples where one tiny wee step over a perceived line, and you know it does yeah. more harm than good. So it's it's a balancing act. You you've got a really tough message to get out there. And you've, it almost feels like you've got to get that message out while sort of standing on a tightrope a lot of the time. Yeah, like, we, we we don't have time to make mistakes. Really, I mean, no. we, we we just have to keep going. We don't we, we have to we do have to do that sort of um, reflection and look back <clears throat> and think about stuff and come up with a better plan. Mm-hmm. But while we're doing that, we need to keep working. <laughs> we need yeah. to keep we we need to do. It's almost like and and I feel like with the the whole kind of response to the the climate emergency, we need to do everything all the time. Like what we find so much on our social media, we'll post about an action, and we'll get someone will comment on it and say, "You need to talk about cycling. You need to talk about like that's the only that like just get people to stop driving and start cycling." Or you'll get someone who's who comes on and say, "You need to be talking about a plant based diet. That's all that matters. If everyone had a plant based diet, we'd be fine." Or they'll be talking about the fast fashion industry. You shut down the fast fashion industry, and we'll be fine. And the reality is that if you just do any one of those things, mm-hmm. we're still fucked. Nothing changes. We need to do all of the things mm-hmm. all and, the time. Yeah, uh, and so it's that there's nothing that there's no solution that we can afford to say. Yeah, there's no cookie cutter. Yeah. There's no like yeah. one thing that we can yeah. do that will just be like that's it, guys. Yeah. High five. And then you yeah. can't even even if you find yourself, for example, in a Scotland where you know we're going. Do you know what? 
things are still to happen, things can be better, we're electrifying A9s and all these other things mm. that, you know, in theory should have an impact as we move towards the, the sort of net zero 2025, which I know obviously we we're going to kind of touch on. Um, but like, success in just Scotland doesn't then necessarily mean whatever model we yeah. use here will go and work in India or Pakistan yeah. or mm. it won't go and work in America or Australia, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's all got to be effective but it's also in a lot of cases going to have to be really regionalized as well isn't it you know what i mean because yeah. the challenges that australia faced in recent months with the wildfires oh, yeah. are nothing by comparison i mean we're our, yeah. our problem is that we're probably going to be looking at you know huge swathes of the country underwater rather than on fire you know what i mean yeah. like, and i think as well as the environmental issues and you know the the impact that's having like one of the things that we need to consider, and I know uh, Extinction Rebellion Scotland, we're talking about it through the last couple of days, um, as, you know, temperatures in Scotland start to move towards 30 degrees in the summer, like, migration is going to be a huge issue as people's homes disappear underwater and never to come back, like, yeah. we're going to have massive health issues, we're going to have supply and demand issues, like, this isn't just something that is like, oh, it's going to be a bit warm and dry and we're going to run out of oil and, you know, whatever, it's going to, this is something that is going to bleed out and impact on every aspect of people's lives everywhere yeah. in the world and we're going to have to then address well what do we do when two-thirds of our country floods what do we do with the people you know what i mean like it's there's questions that we're not even getting to yet you yeah. know what i mean like, mm -hmm. so so to pick up on because i don't think we've talked about 2025 yet mm -hmm. and it's a it's a big thing that some people look at and they're like are you serious you're you're calling for net zero carbon emissions by 2025 um, I, I don't know exactly how we get there. Um, that's one of the great things about the proposal for a citizens' assembly is that you don't necessarily have to have that answer. You say mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna let the people come together and decide based on the ideas that are put forward by experts. But I, I believe that research has been done that shows that it can be done. That, that a transition mm -hmm. of that scale can be done in that sort of time. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the likes of the Second World War. Um, if you look at how quickly our economy was redirected, for instance, in the space of six weeks, factories that were making car engines were suddenly making engines for planes yeah. for the war effort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these drastic changes yeah. in these big, massive things that we've yeah. just been talking about can be done. Yeah. Can but, be done. Like they've yeah. got the resources, we've got the manpower. Like we could do it. It's yeah. just a case. It's a choice then, yeah. really, isn't it? And the the other thing that people bring up is so there's the the IPCC report from 2018, the one that really made so many people sit up and take notice because they are an organisation that often comes out with quite conservative sort of things and they just came out and said, you need to cut carbon emissions in half by 2030, you need to hit net zero carbon emissions by 2050 in order to have a 50% chance of staying within 1.5 mm -hmm. degrees. Now, if they're saying we've got till 2050, why are we saying 2025? Well, there's two reasons. The first reason is that net zero is not zero. Net zero means that you've got a spreadsheet with two columns. In one column you've got all your carbon emissions and then in the other column you've got all your offsets. Yeah. Now the offsets, a lot of this is, can be quite questionable. You've got carbon capture and storage, which is still a very unproven technology, which does risks about carbon leaching back out into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. You've got things where you plant a tree and in theory that tree lives for 40 years, it sequesters this much carbon. But you maybe plant the tree and then you don't look after it and it dies after a year. So 
this whole idea of carbon offsetting can be questionable. It's often used as a sort of accounting trick so that governments and companies can claim to be greener than they actually are. Right. Um, so net zero is not the same thing as absolute zero where we're, we're not emitting anything. So yeah. while net zero is definitely a good thing and something that we should be trying to get to as soon as possible, it's not the final destination. Mm-hmm. It's a step on the road to something mm-hmm. better. So that's the first reason. The second reason why we talk about 2025 is that we are one of the wealthiest, most advanced countries in the world. Now, if the world as a whole is going to get there by 2050, we need to be getting there much sooner than that. And that's why we're saying we can get there by 2025 and we should Mm -hmm. uh, so that we can set an example. We can show the rest of the world that it can be done and also set an example for some ideas of how it can be done. Now, obviously, as you say, different countries will have to do different things, but um, different countries can see what we've done and learn from it. And the, going back to the first part of that as well is show that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Show that we are doing it because one of the hardest things is if if Scotland was to get to zero carbon emissions and no other country did anything, we'd still be fucked. Yeah. So we need to to trust that other countries are going to do it, and other countries need to trust that we're going to do it. Mm. I mean, have I don't know if you've ever had the experience of trying to go on a diet. And then you start to think, is this actually working? And then the moment you start thinking, maybe it's not working, maybe it's not, or maybe I'm not going to lose weight, you can't stick with it Aye, that's because it. it's really hard to do. <clears throat> so if it's really hard to do, you need to believe that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And so countries need to believe that other countries are going to do it. And so it's so important for somebody to be first and to get in there quickly and set an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can't force the Australian government to take action. We can't force the American government to take action. Exactly. We can put pressure on the Scottish government. We can put pressure on the UK government. And hope that the Scottish or UK government sets an example that then puts pressure on other countries to follow suit. Exactly. Aye. Um, I mean, as it stands, as we talk about these deadlines and stuff like that, how, you know, how optimistic, pessimistic, etc. are you? Maybe no, as a representative of Extinction Rebellion, but just on a personal level, what what, what do you reckon? I don't even know. I try not to think about it. I I guess that means I probably don't really. Right. (laughs) Um, It's hard to see. It's hard to see it happening, but Mm -hmm. so much has happened in the last year and a half that that we never saw happening. Yeah. Um, in, in global politics in the last five years, you know, you look at 2016 and what a shock to the system that was. Yeah. The things that people did not expect. Um, look at the dysphoria we now live in. Yeah. <laughs> nightmarish hellscape. <laughs> so just, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Yeah. But one of, the, one of the big kind of um, discussions that can get very emotional that we sometimes talk about in Extinction Rebellion is the subject of hope. And okay. do you have hope? Are you optimistic? And for me, I think it's less... I try to think less about hope and more about purpose. Okay. A sense of, do I believe that what I'm doing is right? Do I believe that mm-hmm. what I'm doing is the best thing I can do yeah. to give us the best chance? Um, and and I then look around at other people around me doing these things, doing doing more than I'm doing. Um, you know, there's some amazing people in our organisation who just I don't know how they manage to, to put in all the work that they do. Yeah. Um, and that gives me hope. Cool. I think that's as good an answer as any. I think so, man. I think that's a great place to end it as well. After we've just been talking about what well, seems to be quite a heavy topic, but obviously it's laden with quite a lot of sort of pessimism and quite a lot of sort of yeah. Um, just to hear that the people that are within your organisation are giving you that hope, just 
as a sort of third party gives me hope that we might be able to do something yeah. with it. And, and I've got to say, watching you know the progress, as you say, that's been made in the last eighteen months, you know, on a global level through organisations like Extinction Rebellion and the people they associate themselves with, is probably one of the few rays of hope on this topic that I've actually seen in, you know, probably in my adult life, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I know early years there's been good spells for guys like Greenpeace and stuff like that, but this feels to me like a more organic thing that's happening. This feels to me like actual ordinary people saying, no, fuck this, man, this is this is no on anymore. And, like, given how vested other interests, like political and industrial interests are, like, it's going to take ordinary people going, no, I'm, I'm not having that anymore for it to actually stick and, you know, hopefully use the spark that sets off something bigger. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you if they're looking to engage? Uh, so uh, Extinction Rebellion Glasgow have got a Facebook page. Extinction Rebellion Scotland have mm-hmm. got our own Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we have uh, weekly meetings every Tuesday evening from 7 o'clock until <coughs> 9 o'clock. At the moment, those are at Strathclyde Uni, but that venue might change. Uh, the details of all of our events can be found on our Facebook page. Amazing. Thanks very much for coming and talking to us. I really appreciate it. This is one we've been, as we said, at the turn of the year when we sat down, we're desperate to get a wee bit of this type of chat in, so really appreciate your time. All right, thanks for having me on.